This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Derek Ray is phenomenal oh. when it comes to pronunciations. This yep. is a guy So is he who, in dark, by the way. They, they actually care yeah. about that stuff. Which yeah, they do. They really care. They put in the work. And and you know the famous story about Derek Ray is that he would contact embassies of the countries whose games he's broadcasting to get correct pronunciations of the players' names. And he's almost fanatical about it, but I love that because it's a sign of respect. It's a sign of professionalism. And... You know, you look at, I, I do bang my head against the wall when so many, actually, there's a lot of really good British broadcasters who still say Martinez instead of Martinez. And that's just wrong. Like, if you're going to be a pro, get it right. There's so many Spanish speakers in the United States, especially if you're speaking to a, a, a U.S. audience. Um, you know, get those names right. You know, the star of Mexico is Raul Jimenez, not Raul Jimenez. You know, so um, Roberto Martinez is the coach of Belgium. Yeah, when I hosted way back when, Grant, the Sports Illustrated soccer podcast back when... I oh, I remember. Record, yeah, my uh, pronunciations of European players were just disgraceful, so I deserved all... Uh, <laughs> You were terrible. Yeah, yeah. All, honestly, all, uh, yeah, all criticism warranted my way. All right. Um, normally in this podcast, I, um, I have at least some kind of semblance of format. We call it a script, but it's at least, um, you know, an idea of where I'm going to go and some questions I want to ask a guest. And, you know, just sort of gives me a rough, a rough outline what I hope the podcast will be. Um, there's no format or script today for this. Um, I have uh, three people along with me who knew Grant Wall very, very well. Um, the three of these, uh, these three guys, and I will introduce them, um, knew Grant for more than 20 years. Uh, in the case of, when you hear Mark Moravik and John Wertheim, we're incredibly close to Grant, you know, one of their closest friends to this day. So I'm joined today by John Wertheim, who is a longtime Sports Illustrated editor and writer. He's a correspondent at 60 Minutes. You can also find his work, obviously, on this tennis channel, many best-selling books. Jeff Perlman is, was Grant's longtime colleague at Sports Illustrated and has since obviously written many, many best New York Times best-selling books, and um, you've seen his work uh, on um, turn into a television series not too long ago, his, uh, his awesome books on the Lakers. Mark Moravik was a longtime uh, top editor at Sports Illustrated, one of the best editors that that magazine has ever had. And in the last year and a half, he was Grant Wall's editor 
on grantwall.com and for his Substack. So everything Grant wrote as an independent journalist was filtered through Mark Moravik. And as I've said on uh, The Athletic, uh, I knew Grant for more than um, a little, I guess, right around 20 years or so. If my, uh, my math is right, I started Sports Illustrated one year after him in um, 97 and, uh, um, you know, had a, had a uh, just <laughs> decades-long texts and messages. And, um, you know, I, I would – we were certainly friends, probably more professional friends than social friends because uh, we had now lived in different cities. But uh, all of us, obviously, on this uh, podcast were incredibly fond of him and admired him and admired his amazing wife, Celine. And so we'll try to make it in some way celebratory, but you can't get past the fact that it's just been an absolutely shitty couple of days. And with that, I'm joined by Mark Moravik, Jeff Perlman, John Wertheim. Welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. Here's where I want to start. And John, I'll, I will start with um, you. Um, one of the things that um, really stunned me, and maybe it shouldn't have, I knew Grant had a massive impact like in the world and certainly the world of soccer. And I knew how many friends and admirers he had had and you know, he had an amazing reputation of helping people and things like that what i was blown away by when i was reading um twitter and other places there were people that i know professionally pretty well that had interacted with grant and that grant had either been helpful or grant was was an influence on them that i had no idea like literally people i know for years and i think that's what blew me away when i saw that was just man he um i think he touched more lives than the the certainly the four of us on this podcast probably realized no absolutely i mean i think we're all in disbelief and we're all hurting i hope you guys mark you i hope everyone's taking care of themselves this has really been been devastating but i think as, as we sort of grope for silver lining one of them is you know we we knew he was a good dude we knew he was an a-plus journalist but man this this outpouring is, is really it's it's heartening, it's gratifying, and I think some of this is for for Grant as a person, some of it is for Grant as a journalist, and I also think it, it's sort of secondary, but I think it's also been a really nice validation for journalism, and this is a profession that's, you know, there's a lot of churn, and there's a lot of instability right now, but it's really, you realize getting to travel around the world and getting to make so many friends from so many different tribes, um, doing work with ethics and with principle and with compassion. I mean, I think it, it's been really personally comforting to see Grant getting uh, this kind of acknowledgement, but I also sort of walk away thinking that this is also really validating for the work we do. Um, but yeah, I mean, Greg Grant had, um, friends from all over the world. I mean, I have similar experiences to you, Richard, but I, I also think, you know, um, it's remarkable that LeBron James and Billie Jean King, neither of them, we should point out, uh, play in the sport he's best known for covering. It, it's, it's great. And says, says something that they're acknowledging this, but I, I find a lot of these stories, a lot of people sort of that you and I, the, the four of us used to work with these small acts of kindness from 20 years ago, these people remembering, look, I was, I was nobody on the masthead and Grant had me over for dinner. It's just as heartening to me to see these, these others. I mean, Le LeBron is great, but it's, it's the intern from 2006 that I find in, in a lot of ways to be uh, just as poignant. Mark, um, you sent me a, um, 
direct message about someone who um, I think the guy's name is Mike Duncan, who like has become like a well-known um, like uh, historical podcaster. And he sent out like a note, something to the effect of like that, um, like like Grant Wall is is was the reason that he like his soccer fandom clicked in and that uh, like like the game he became engaged in the game to because of Grant to the point where if I remember right like literally Grant's soccer calendar like became this guy's bible and like you you when you sent that to me like it was like to you like that kind of message right was like the embodiment of what sort of Grant meant to so many people and I think as we found out now that's it's not like thousands it's it's like a seven figure number here it's yeah big. it's got to be and and yeah that you know that was just one of the I think many of us spent the weekend, you know, just scrolling social media to, to, you know, take comfort in, in um, all these tributes and comments and, and things. And, and, you know, just to have this guy who's, you know, he, he sort of invented kind of the amateur historian, non-academic podcast. He did a podcast called the history of Rome. And then he did another one called revolutions as a huge following in this sort of historical podcasting. And suddenly this guy is talking about Grant wall. It just was, it, it just stunned me. I mean, he's like, you know, he said, he said, there's no way to watch all these matches and not think constantly of Grant Wall. It's so damn sad and unreal. He says, I feel like I'm the living, breathing embodiment of who he was trying to reach and how good he was at doing it. Soccer fandom clicked hard for me in 2018 when I was casting about for who to follow and what to read and what to listen to. His name popped up first, last, and always. I think he was the first guy I clicked on. Um, he goes on to say, you know, uh, it's not, he showed that it's not just possible, but vital to love the sport with all your heart while relentlessly holding hot flame to the feet of the bastards who run it. Um, you know, it, it, he, he's, you he just, I, you know, I don't think I or any of us had any idea of like the sort of breadth of Grant's sort of uh, impact. You know, he just drew people into the sport and that's what he wanted to do. You know, that's why he became a soccer journalist. That's why he went full-time soccer and, 2010 or 11 um he saw the he saw the uh the sort of potential there and uh and the sport meant so much to him and and he was constantly sort of you know proselytizing for it and 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 drawing people in because he thought it was important not just you know it was it was a sort of it reached the entire globe. And I think that was the appeal to Grant who loved to travel and he loved to experience new things. And he wanted other people to do that. And he also wanted people to realize the sort of importance that soccer um, and sport more generally can have in, in a culture. So, uh, yeah. And, you know, you saw these tributes, like, like John said, and, you know, everybody's sort of saying, Oh, LeBron James and Billy Jean King, but, you know, the head of the WHO was commenting and, you know, secretary of state, Anthony Blinken is weighing in and, 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 you know, all of these people, it just was, it was overwhelming and, and, a, and a really beautiful tribute to him. Jeff, um, you know, we were in contact, um, on that awful, um, night for us, I guess, back here in the U S uh, and then, uh, I, and I would recommend anybody go to Jeff's Twitter feed on December 10th. Um, he just, uh, you know, went, um, stream of consciousness on Grant for about, uh, about two minutes, but I did want to ask you the same thing, just from your perspective. Um, you know, I wish all of us wish, obviously this didn't have to be, but 
you know, these tributes felt different. Like if, you know, when someone sort of well-known dies, people on Twitter and other places sort of say, you know, they'll, they'll offer condolences or they'll offer memories, but this just went deeper. I, I mean, may, I realize we're all close to it, but it did. It was a different kind of, pe- people offer different kind of thoughts here than at least maybe I would have, not that I wouldn't have expected it, but certainly not in the, in the levels that, that it came out. I think a big thing is he, um, I can't think of anyone else I came up with who owned a sport. Like he actually became the voice of a sport. And, you know, like I, I, when I was at Sports Illustrated, Tom Verducci was the main baseball writer. And just as an example, Verducci is a very, very famous baseball writer. He's a really well-known baseball writer, but there are other equal voices for baseball in America. And even like Wertheim, who's, you know, a, a great friend in his one of the prominent tennis voices in America, but there are other tennis voices. I'm sure John would agree. There are other tennis voices in America. Like he was soccer. He had this passion for it. He pursued it. And he actually became the go-to guy, the American writer you would think of and only think of, I think, when it came to the coverage of soccer in America. And that is, I keep that, that's freaking phenomenal. I've never told, I don't even know what that feels like. That's phenomenal. And I just think for a lot of people in America, his rise it's not a coincidence that soccer became this much, 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 much bigger sport in America at the same time Grant started pushing for soccer to become a much, 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 much bigger sport in America. And I, I just think a lot of people in this country, their love of soccer parallels his rise as a soccer writer and his him bringing a voice to that sport for probably millions of people in this country. You could count on maybe one hand like the names of people who are like instrumental in the rise of soccer in the U S over the past two decades. I, I don't think Grant would, would not, I mean, think Grant would be one of those people. I honestly do. Um, you know, there's some power brokers at ESPN and there's some, you know, big names in the, you know, in the sport in terms of ath- athletes, but you know, he's got to be right there with, with, you know, a small handful of people who were, who were, you know, really promoting the game and believed in it and and believed that it could make it in the u.s and he and he was right this is to um john and jeff and i'll, I'll start with you john um and i want to uh just sort of uh offer listeners like your 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 earliest memories of meeting him and and spending time with him just for sort of background here um john and grant very early on in their tenures at sports illustrated paired up on a number of very, very big stories, including, and John will correct me if I'm wrong on the year, I think it was 1998, where they did a very, very famous story on uh, athletes in paternity. And um, uh, there's a young boy on the cover of Sports Illustrated, and uh, if I remember the caption, I think the caption was Where's Daddy? But it was a very famous sort of story at the time on, um, uh, you know, basically like athletes not um, paying child support and and, and things like that. And Grant and John went to do some really well-known investigative pieces, and it turbocharged both of their careers. Jeff Perlman was in the bullpen with Grant essentially at the same time, and the bullpen was where um, reporters uh, – is sort of the place where young reporters worked, and along with fact-checking senior writer stories, everybody was trying to uh, write their own story and, um, and create their own path. And Jeff and Grant were very similar in terms of their – uh, when they were promoted and and how they ultimately moved up to senior edit, uh, senior writers. So, John, I'll start with you. Um, do you remember when you first met Grant and what your earliest reflections of him were? Yeah, I I feel like 
someone thought we started the same day. I don't know about that, but we started very similarly. And we, um, you know, we, we had a similar background. We were both from the Midwest and, and went to school outside the Midwest. And we ended up sharing an office. And I've never met someone with, uh, you know, p- people now are telling stories about Grant cooking these, these elegant meals. Um, in his mid-20s, when we first met, he had probably the worst nutritional habits of, of anyone I've met. He was, you know, it was Krispy Kreme uh, when he got to work. And two hours later, it was either, you know, Wendy's in the basement or empanadas from the street cart for lunch. But, um, you know, he, he sort of had these, these Midwest sensibilities. Um, I, I always thought, you know, he was an Eagle Scout and he sort of joked about it. And that was sort of my nerdy self. But I always thought that that experience actually was really something that, that informed him and his approach to, uh, to, to the job in particular. He always had this great curiosity. He wanted to know about everything and everyone, and he was a voracious reader. And I think it was pretty clear. I mean, we, we all, Jeff was part of this too. The three of us started right around the same time, and the, they sort of dangled these writing opportunities in front of you. Sort of you were a fact checker, which was grunt work, but you always sort of had the possibility of, of breaking out, and we were always looking for ways to become full-time writer. You know, fact-checking wasn't, it was fine, but that wasn't what we came to Sports Illustrated to do. And, you know, Jeff was terrific at finding these, these off-the-beaten-path stories and would go do rodeo stories in Oklahoma. Um, Grant was always pitching soccer, sometimes more successfully than others. And then we had the brilliant idea that if we just came up with good enough story ideas, maybe they would let us do these sort of enterprising pieces if no one else had the idea. So, you know, I mean, Grant, from the very beginning, I think it was abundantly clear he was, he was going places. And in some ways, he still had, um, you know, I, I remember, we, we can mock him a little bit. I mean, he, you know, he wasn't above putting ice cube in wine, but he also uh, had these precocious instincts and he knew soccer was going to be big and he knew certain players and certain issues. I'm really impressed when I think back in whether it was LeBron that people are talking about or whether it was just sort of his take on media. He really had very, very prescient instincts about a lot of things. And um, I think I think you raised a good point, Jeff, that the fact that soccer, he he and soccer traced the same arc. I mean, his career traced the same arc as soccer was was no coincidence. Jeff? I mean, it's funny. I I was thinking about this. I don't think I liked Grant that much at first. Like we, um, really, we came from very different places. This is not a, uh, this is not an insult. I ended up liking him a lot, but you know, we arrived at the magazine and it was this, the, the bullpen was a hallway, as you guys know, and it was just overflowing with ambition and everyone wanted to be a writer. Everyone wanted to be a writer. Everyone wanted their shot. And, you know, they used to speak about the uh, derisively you, you got there and you'd have certain people who talk about the, the Princeton pipeline, Princeton pipeline. And a lot of the higher ups at SI at the time were products of Princeton, Bill Colson, the editor, uh, Peter Carey, a lot of Princeton. And I think a lot of people looked at Grant who went to Princeton and thought, here's another guy, Princeton pipeline. And I was a guy who went to Delaware and I wasn't from a blue collar background, but I viewed myself as the blue collar scrappy guy from Delaware, you know, like that kind of way. And I saw Grant and I thought, oh, here's this guy from Princeton and he's going to be entitled and he's going to be kind of a jackass. And I remember something he did that in hindsight, like I didn't understand at the time because I was a moron, which is when ESPN, the magazine came along, I think he reached out to them or they reached out to him 
But he seriously negotiated with them and considered going to ESPN the magazine. And at the time, ESPN the magazine, there was a Hatfield McCoy kind of thing with SI. And I remember being like, where's this guy's loyalty? How can he possibly do this? Like how I really remember this. Like, what kind of guy would do this? And in hindsight, I was so naive and so stupid. And later on, I talked with him about when we got promoted. I certainly, when I got promoted, which was the same time as Grant and I think John, I think a lot of that had to do with ESPN, the magazine coming along and the threat of them swooping away young writers from SI. And now it's entirely Grant having this sort of the wherewithal to recognize this opportunity that I didn't see. And at that young age, I was just an idiot. And I was like, how can you not be loyal to Sports Illustrated? This but and looking back, he was a hundred million percent right in his actions. And also not for nothing, he was probably more blue collar than me. He was a kid from Kansas. He had working class parents. He's from a working class family. And I just kind of prejudged him based on some nonsense. And you know, I, it's stupid in hindsight. Mark, um, do you have uh I don't know when you first started editing him, but I wonder if you have uh Early memories. I mean, the one thing I could say, and I did share this in my piece that I wrote on The Athletic, was uh, Grant was obsessive about his copy and would absolutely have no issues breaking the chain, the hierarchy chain, of calling like the Sports Illustrated copy desk to either demand changes or to demand to rewrite. Like he would, he had no problem basically blowing up the entire institution in order to see his vision. And again, as I wrote, he was mostly right, like on a lot of this, but this was not the way you were supposed to do things. So you had a unique relationship with him professionally, then John, myself and Jeff and that you edited him and he, you know, and so that's, that's a whole different kind of, um, proposition so what do you remember him particularly as maybe uh in his younger soccer writing uh days as he was sort of establishing himself here well you know he was he was fearless and like you said he did not care about the sort of hierarchies and and pushing back and he, you know he I, I mean i think the so i worked at i was at si presents for the first couple of years that i was there from 96 to 98 when i think all you guys were sort of young reporters um, or, yeah, I was with you at Presents. I didn't, I didn't, yeah, these guys were at the magazine. Yeah, I was right, with you at right, the right. So, um, right. you know, I moved to the magazine around 98. And my first memory of Grant is the 1998 World Cup, which he was there. And I think Steve Russian was, was there. And I think Russian might have written the main story and Grant had written the sidebar or something. But Bill Colson, the managing editor, is, is going to put Mike Ditka on the cover of the magazine. After France wins the, and it was it's not just France wins the World Cup. It's like a French team that had was full of like North Africans. You know, it was sort of a reconciliation of like uh, the sort of you know uh, friction between France and North Africa and the colonial states and all this stuff. And it was like a heartwarming story across international borders and whatever. It was like a huge thing. And he's putting Mike Ditka, smoke, you know, with a big cigar because I think. Maybe Ditka taking over the Saints at that point, or was going on Monday. Night. Yeah, was it that the Ricky Williams trade? Or I mean, no, was this was but this was when uh, Ditka was hired as a Saints coach, and they it was yeah. holy smoke on the cover. I remember. Right, and it was like <laughs> it was like it was like July. You know, we were like putting a, 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 a an old white football guy on the cover when this immense global thing has happened, and Grant was out of his mind. I mean, he was furious about that, really. And and I, I you know I I don't know what. 
he might even have been in France at the time or whatever, but you know, you, by telephone or whatever stormed in and Colson's office. And he was venting to me because I, we sort of had bonded over soccer uh, a little bit at that point. Um, so yeah, he was, and the same thing when there was a story that DeFord wrote, it was like an opinion piece, like why Americans will never like soccer. I don't know if you guys remember this thing. It was. I do. Yeah. And DeFord hated soccer, right? right. That was, a sh- that, I want to call it shtick. He's obviously one of the most brilliant writers ever, but he, DeFord made it a point to let readers know how much he disliked yeah, he was soccer. Tr- it was a, a complete troll job of like soccer and Colson yeah. ran it because it was Frank DeFord. And Grant and, you know, me and Hank Hirsch and a couple other of the sort of soccer proponents are like, you know, we're, we're looking at SI and we're looking at readership that is the subscriber base is getting older every year. You know, 50, it was 45, I think, when I started there. And, you know, by the late, you know, by the early 2000s, it was like 51, 52. We got to start cultivating a different readership, a younger readership. And I think some of us felt that, you know, we needed to start covering other sports that are appealing to a younger readership. And this is just antagonizing the very people we're trying to attract to the, you know, like not just a bad story with a bad, with, with ba- a bad take. It's just, it's a bad business. you know. And I think, you know, in a way that's also what Grant was, Grant is thinking that too. You know, it's, it's like, this isn't just bad, like, journalism this is bad for the business of sports illustrated and he cared deeply about that right. too um you know he as did. much as he cared about his copy which yes he was a, a bit of a prima donna and um a perfectionist but again it's like you know he he cared so much about what he was doing that he wanted everything to be as you know as perfect as it could be and also as as close to an expression of what he was trying to get across as as he could and, and you know si was had this sort of tradition as an editor's magazine as opposed to a writer's magazine and you know some editors were much more hands-on and some were sort of let the writer's voice flow so um i think that's why he sort of (laughs) gravitated toward me because i was very happy to you know let writers um you know let their voice be the what be what comes out in the magazine i have like three recollections because you know we we were I think we were sharing an office. We were talking all the time with that, with that World Cup was the first time he'd been to Europe. And I remember, A, I remember that DeFord story well. So think about it. Grant's 25 years old. DeFord is this absolute pillar. And Grant is livid and is, and is questioning why you're, you're 25 years old. And you're saying, you, you know, why, why are you giving Frank DeFord a platform? Um, Grant was absolutely moved by that story. And some of it was the, the experience and covering the World Cup. Some of it, as Mark says, was the, the composition of the French team. His dog ended up being, being named Zizou years later after Zidane. He was so moved. And he also came back and he said, there's going to be a Women's World Cup next year here in the U.S. And if we don't cover it and deploy more resources, I'm going to be furious. Again, he's 25 years old. Um, Again, again, with the pressure. And I think that's something, I mean, Jeff said that Grant is, is, was, was the Alpha Dale, the top soccer writer, top soccer journalist, 100% agree. But think about the way he did it. And Mark, I mean, I give you a lot of credit here, too. This is not a shouter. This is not someone who had, you know, who, who was going on TV every day. This is not someone who was, uh, you know, playing cheap and easy sort of culture war games. This is not a transactional reporter who sent his copy to Mr. Editor as, as an executive before submitting. 
he owned this beat and he did it with long form writing and with reporting and with informed analysis. He did it. Yeah. With X's and O's, but also, you know, Mark, you can tell the last piece that he wrote was about uh, these, these great breaches of of workers' rights in in Qatar. So the, the fact that he established this level of status, but did it with integrity and not, uh, you know, not uh, Richard. I heard you know not with the, the, just Sean Watson is doing a lot better in his uh, in in his treatment because his agent told me, but I can't source it. Um, that is not how Grant went about the job. That was actually really right. offensive to Grant. And I think it's one thing to own a sport, but to own it doing the kind of journalism he did is something that I think we should also sort of spend spend time acknowledging. Yeah, that's. Uh... That's really well said, um, John, and it's worth, uh, you know, he was as gifted uh, profiling Balotelli or, uh, you know, uh, Messi as he was obviously investigating uh, LGBTQ rights in Qatar. I want to, um, I want to ask, I'll start with you, Mark, and then I'll go back to John here. Jeff, you can certainly weigh in as well. But um, Mark, if you want to just give some reflections of, of, because you you know you spend time with him socially certainly the last couple of years in addition to obviously editing him and i would love to you know let people know what you want what what you want to pass on about him away from soccer i mean the one thing that was sort of beyond clear um whenever you talked to grant if you had any kind of you know in-depth conversations with him was just how much he loved and admired his wife celine gounder who's dr celine gounder and one of the um foremost infectious disease experts in um, the U.S. I mean, you know, this was a really crazily accomplished couple. Um, they supported each other. Um, they certainly, you know, I didn't even, you know, I didn't really spend much time with Grant socially the last couple of years, but like, you know, Grant floated into the world of like the Biden administration, right? In addition to hanging out with some Moravic knucklehead soccer uh, game on Sunday, like that's kind of made him a very unique figure in that he he floated into a lot of different worlds. Uh, in addition to his soccer world. I, I think that just shows you how sort of passionate he was and, and smart and accomplished. And of course, Celine, the same, like what a power couple they were. Um, yeah, when the pandemic broke out, you know, Grant would have Celine on his podcast explaining to his listeners, you know, what was going on, how much they knew, what, you know, what the precautions to take uh you know he had a he hosted a podcast where landon donovan was asking sort of man on the street questions to celine you know i mean talk about bridging two worlds and and doing it in just such a sort of intelligent way it's just you know i mean he 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 just knew how to sort of he was passionate. He was smart. He wanted that information out there. He was proud of Celine, you know, incredibly proud of her. And, uh, you know, she felt the same way about him, obviously. Um, um, and, you know, socially they were extremely welcoming. They opened their doors to people. Grant would host dinners where he would just bring people from, you know, not just from sports, but outside of sports and sort of mix them together and kind of have people, you know, meeting each other. He really wanted the people that he knew to sort of interact and, and sort of broaden all of their experiences. Um, you know, he hosted these uh, watch parties at Smithfields, which is a bar in Manhattan um, on Champions League and other, you know, U.S. women's team games uh, where he would just invite friends that he knew. I, you know, I, I went to numerous um, 
games there and met people that, you know, were part of Grant Circle and are been part of mine, you know, former players and media people and just friends that he knew and podcasters and um, journalists. It was just, uh, you know, it's like a sort of salon, you know, of soccer. It was kind of a, a cool experience. But um, yeah, you know, the bigger issue of like, um, you know, his role with, uh, with, uh, with Celine and, and how, um, yeah, she, you know, her role in the pandemic and then how he supported her was, you know, every time, you know, he would, he would constantly be tweeting because, you know, both of them are under extreme pressure and, you know, Celine, um, there, there's a, she was dealing with a lot of the kind of anti-vax stuff, you know, at the same time. And, and so Grant knew, you know, that he needed to support her and, and, um, so yeah, so the two of them over the course of the last two years was just like an incredible, um, an incredible couple and, and, and amazing to see them operate. John, you, um, I know that you, I think you and your wife spent a lot of time with them. Uh, you know, it's interesting that Mark just said that cause it's just sort of keyed off a of memory and Jeff, you can pop in at any time after John, um, that, um, about bringing people together. I, I, I remember Grant invited me in New York once to go out with Taylor Twelman and Alexi Lawless. And we went to some West side, I think it was West Side. I, my memory's yeah, senior moment here, I guess. Uh, I, it was like a West Side bar or something to 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 that effect, and it was just interesting. And it was a we we really had a great uh, time. It was a really interesting conversation. And the reality is, and you know, I probably should admit this, but I just I'm a human being like anybody else. I think I don't see Alexi Lawless in the same kind of caricature and WWE heel character simply because we all went out and had that sort of night and had a you know sort of real and human conversation and uh and the same and taylor twelman too was very charming and i enjoyed it and uh you know it was again like the likelihood is i wouldn't have had that experience if not for knowing grant uh wall and i know for a fact you know this is like one of 15 million like sort of things where he would bring people together who might normally not um have been together but john i i you know as mark referenced some of these uh salon dinners i know over the years you were you were part of some of them, correct? Yeah, sure. I mean, I was just thinking about what you, this, this anecdote you just told me. And think about it. I mean, it's, it's lovely on, on a human level. It's also, think about that as a journalist when it's not just yeah. sniping over Twitter. And, you know, Grant was terrific on social media, but also it meant something to have a drink with someone or to meet face to face. I mean, if you're covering a sport and you're, you know, whatever you might think of someone, if you're sitting across the table from them, that is a different relationship than doing it from afar. I mean, there was this relentless curiosity to grant about places and issues, but also about people. And yeah, I mean, the, the dinner parties were, um, you know, it was, it was great fun and, and grant often cooked. And I always thought, um, if only we had an editor on this podcast, I mean, whatever the opposite of, of social climber is, um, you know, you, you'd go over to his house and here is this, this figure. I mean, grant really, became something of a celebrity and the people at these dinner parties, he, he didn't give a shit about the time Warner big wigs or the, you know, people who could help his career. A lot of times this would be the intern or someone on the job for six weeks. And I think some of it was noblesse oblige and this sort of sense of mentorship. But I also think just generally wanted to know who are you, where do you come from? What do you think about things? And so you, you would have these dinner parties and, um, you know, Le LeBron James is tweeting about Grant and there are all sorts of associations with the Biden administration, but you'd go to his house and you'd be 
seated across the table from the 23 year old who had been on the video team for six weeks. And that was just as interesting to Grant as, as celebrity. Um, there, there really was this sort of, I mean, I, I, to me, it's remarkable how he was so good on social media and so popular, but he also didn't let that short change personal interactions. Yeah. It's interesting. What about you, Jeff? Uh, I have two thoughts on this. Number one, um, back when I was at SI, I played on the sports illustrated basketball team and we had a good team, a lot of good players. Grant and I split a lot of time at like whatever you small forward, probably. And we'd, we'd, we play at the Chelsea peers in the bubble. It was great. Great, great, great. And nobody with any sanity would want to watch those games because it's a bunch of, <laughs> it's a bunch of hacks playing basketball. You know, we had a couple of former D three players and that was, it was bad basketball. And Celine would always be the only person at the games. And I would always joke, I'd be like, Celine, you are, what are you doing here? And she would just be like, I'm a glutton for punishment. And she would be there for, she, she was the only person to come to those games. So if you want to know her commitment to, uh, to Grant, my, my wife went to none of those games. I don't remember any spouses going to any of those games. And Celine was in almost <laughs> all those games. And number two, I just want to say on a personal note, um, 1999, I'm a, I'm like, a fringe guest at the wedding of one John Wertheim, who at the time was a relatively new colleague of mine. And I'm sitting at the sports illustrated table next to Grant and the maid of honor is giving her speech. And Grant says to me, um, she's cute. You should, you should ask her out. You should go ask her out. You should ask her out. And, um, her name was Catherine. We've been married for, for 21 years. So, uh, wow. Love there's it. a, uh, there's a little Grant wall in flat. And I just, I just want to say I was going through, I was, I was scrolling through my uh, my text that I text exchanges I had with Grant, and I was this is a little off topic, but I was working on a Substack a while ago about how to deal with editing and how to deal with editors. And I asked Grant, I said, "What advice would you give people deal, to deal with editors?" And he said, "Hire a therapist." <laughs> <laughs> Just thought that was good. Yeah, no, it's when. Um... Yeah, my 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 Twitter direct message with him goes back to like I think when we first started in two thousand and nine, and it's one of the ones I referenced in there. Which just like it was so Grant uh, in like twenty sixteen, where he's like complimenting me on uh, a podcast, and he's like, "Thank me, hey, you know, you really care about soccer and this uh, and soccer commentating, and so thank you for having them on." But and then he mentioned how I had totally mangled Jose Mourinho's <laughs> Jose, <name>. Jesus, <laughs> right, Jose. So there you go, right, and. Uh, and yeah, and said that uh, goalkeeper is not a formal term in soccer. Goaltender, so you said. Not, you said a goaltender. So there you go. Right. Once this is, you have now basically. Uh, this has been Exhibit A as to why I was fired from the Sports Illustrated Soccer Podcast uh, multiple times. Mark, I want to um, want to ask you about Grant's post Sports Illustrated chapter um, as an as an independent journalist. He you know, Grant was obviously very very confident in his abilities and rightly so. And when he parted with Sports Illustrated, which was obviously very acrimoniously, um, you know, he, he was a big name, but that doesn't necessarily correspond to anything. Whether, you know, I think when I had talked to him, I think he was he was confident about sort of a, a vision that he had, but, you know, like everyone else, he wasn't positive it was going to be uh, a massive hit or a massively successful, but it turned out to be. He really found... 
in his post-SI chapter between Substack, between his work for Meadowlark Media, between his work for CBS, like kind of an amazing uh, post-Sports Illustrated career. And so I wonder if you just let my listeners in on like, you know, you were there like essentially the beginning of when he made this decision, like, all right, I'm going to have my own Substack, my own website, basically, and I'm going to try to do magazine quality work on this Substack, including traveling to qualifiers, which... I'm not sure anybody else in the entire United States like could do as an independent journalist. And so he, you know, he once again in, reinvented himself for like the, you know what I mean? For like the, the 2020s. Yeah. Again. I mean, I, you said independent journalist and that was, I think the most important thing for him to be independent of any, you know, advertising commitments or traffic commitments or and and certainly not like an editor above him telling him what he could and couldn't do i mean that was you know grant was not surprisingly after he left si was being courted by you know platforms that you might expect would want him um and yeah. was 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 thinking about i thinking about those kinds of opportunities and what what that would bring and uh and then the substack idea was was the other option and he ultimately decided he just wanted to be his own boss you know he wanted to cover this sport um cover the sport the way he wanted to um without sort of you know oversight or or pressures from you know that, that that were not related to the the stories that he was doing and that's what substack allowed him to do um and you know i'm just looking at his his uh bylines his datelines from the launch of the site in august of 2021 so leipzig germany san salvador nashville honduras new york city austin Panama, Tiraspol, Moldova, where he did a story on this team FC Sheriff, which is, which wow. is, a, it was, they what were in the great Champions story. League. They beat, they beat Real Madrid. They're from like Transnistria, which is like a Russian controlled enclave in Moldova. That's basically like a mafia, a mafia state. Um, you know, talk about, you know, putting your, putting yourself in, in harm's way. It was a dangerous place to be. And, you know, he's like, I got to go there and do a story on this team. You know, um, he was traveling to Kingston, Jamaica to follow the U S team. And, and he was doing stories in France and Germany and, and Spain covering the women's game covered. He went to the women's, uh, he went to the women's euros in, uh, last, last summer. Um, you know, he just, he, this gave him the opportunity to do that. There, were, there was nobody saying you can't go. Um, there were budgetary issues, obviously. And, and, you know, this, this, there was, there was pressures to, he was running his own business. So there were some of those issues. Um, but he took that all in stride and, uh, you know, he was able to, to cover the sport the way he wanted to. And he did, you know, he did dozens of magazine called the magazine stories. Cause it was, there were, some of them were, done sort of the same way a magazine story was especially sort of on deadline gamers where he would um sort of in the old old style of like uh you know yeah file. he would pre-file you know with a chunk to me he would pre-file a day before and i would edit it and then he would put a top on it after the game and and you know have it out by 
he wanted everything up by nine o'clock the next day for his readers. Um, so it would be fresh, you know, I mean, the, the sort of the issue with Sports Illustrated covering games, you know, especially in the age of the digital era was, you know, you'd get your story three days later and it had to be really super relevant or it was, you know, time had passed. But if you're getting it the next morning, you know, it's still fresh in your mind and you want to read Grant, you want to read Grant's take, you want to re read the, you know, the interviews Grant got after the game. Um, so, you know, he found that very, uh, you know, I think he was very satisfying way to, for him to cover the sport. In addition to doing feature stories about, you know, FC Sheriff, or he did a great story about these Howard Webb and BB Steinhaus were like the, you know, the top yeah, men's right. and women's referees in the world. They got married yep. and it's like, <laughs> and they were living in New Jersey and, uh, he just did this, you know, that kind of thing too, which if you had pitched that to Sports Illustrated magazine, they'd say they would probably say no, you know. He did a story on the on um the Reina family, Claudio Reina and his son Gio. And uh there had been an older son who died, and Grant wrote this amazing story about the family and how they're coping with it, and how Gio Reina was sort of you know, taking the reins from his brother and being, you know, sort of uh, following in his footsteps. And, and he, you know, he had it ready. He wrote it for the magazine and they sort of said, no, we don't really think this is for, for our readers. And it went up online and got an amazing reaction there. But that's just the kind of thing he just did not want to have to deal with um, people saying no to things that he was. And it was, you know, yeah. hugely successful. It was growing, you know, his, 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 I think his subscription base was, was um had exceeded what he was his expectations for the first year first year and a half and 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 you know right you know and and the world cup of course was, was a big boost to that um you know from a business perspective as well as just from a content perspective um so he was, he was just on the way to sort of making this thing a, a you know a, a, a huge success when hey, Rich, can i make one point about that I was just sure, thinking yeah. one thing. So I, one of my last exchanges with Grant was he was really excited because he got like his 3000th paid subscription to his Substack, And I think a lot of times people don't know how Substack works and how hard it is to get paid subscriptions. And I really, I remember thinking at the time how interesting and kind of cool it is that it's a guy who at one point was writing for a magazine um, that had, you know, 3 million subscribers or 2.5 million subscribers. And he was just if not more so passionate about writing for the 3000 subscribers, you know, paid subscribers and that he was building this thing. And it wasn't about, it really wasn't clearly about writing for millions and millions. It was just about writing and doing really good work and, and doing this thing and creating this thing. I just think that's really kind of impressive and cool. I'll add something real quick to that, which when he was, um, trying to figure out what to do after Sports Illustrated. We, we talked a lot and he was telling me about Substack and sort of what the terms and conditions were. And he just wanted his name associated with quality. That was the driver. That was what mattered to him. And he was essentially taking money off the table to make sure he had a budget to travel. He wanted Mark. He wanted top-notch editing. It was all about the quality. And when a big legacy media company sends you across an ocean. It's, it's one thing when you're doing this on your own dime and you're trying to find the, the cheapest fares, even if you have to take, you know, inconvenient flights with layovers. Um, it didn't matter to him. He wrote 
the same kind of stories. He pursued, you know, this is sort of neither fear nor favor journalism. Again, one of the last pieces he wrote was about these workers' rights and these, these trampling abuses in, in Qatar. When Sports Illustrated sends you to do that, it's one thing. When you're doing that on your own dime, um, I think that's, that's something else entirely. It was, just, it was just about quality with him. And as Mark says, doing, doing what he wanted to do on his terms. And there's, there's you know, that's, that's admirable as well. And the fact that not only the, the quality didn't dip at all, but even the way he approached the job didn't dip at all. When he was doing this entrepreneurially, but on his own, without the sort of lily pad of uh, the big, big media, I, I think speaks the world of him. I'm going to stick with you, John, and uh, but Mark and Jeff, you certainly can feel free to uh, follow um, after John. Um, it was very clear, John, and I, maybe this was clear early on when you guys first started that, um, you know, Grant... He really cared about like the those in society who like um, d- did not have um, as much as others, or those in society maybe who um, were picked on or lacked justice. Um, you know, he was made very very clear about how he felt about the LGBTQ community, including his writing uh, Qatar. And you just sort of referenced this before. I mean, not every journalist would travel on their own dime to go to Qatar to write about migrant workers. Um, do you, you know, I don't, I don't know enough about his growing up in Kansas to know where that might've came from, but, but do you have any thoughts on to that as to why, like that was something that was sort of part of his core? You know, I mean, I, I think in some ways he had a, you know, conventional Midwest childhood in, in Kansas. And in other ways, I think he always had this real sense of right or wrong. And I think, I think the way he was able to balance it, like we, we hear all these stories about what a thoroughly decent person he was which he was and how compassionate he was but there was also this this real sort of low threshold for outrage whether that was changing commas with with the coffee desk that you guys talked about or whether that was you know workers rights abuses or the serial corruption of fifa or usa soccer arguing with a straight face that unequal wages were okay um you know grant was someone who was a, a, a man of, of, of so many good deeds, but there was also sort of this, this outrage side to him. And um, it, it's a remarkable balance. It's, it's honorable. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think he, c- coming from Kansas and going to a place like Princeton, he traveled in, in our, I think a number of us have talked about his, his travel as an undergraduate in Argentina, which I think was really a seminal experience. I think there was a real, um, you know, before it was voguish, this this whole sort of check your privilege was always part of his his being. And from you know when I knew him in his mid twenties, there there was always c- concern for people who didn't have the voice and the platform and, and the access and the advantages that he had. It showed up in the way he lived his life. It showed up in his writing. And again, there there was such a decency. But this is not someone you wanted to, uh, to to fight with when he thought there was an injustice. Do you want to? You, do you have any thoughts on that, Jeff or Mark? Yeah, I mean, I remember a story he did on the Palestinian national team. I think the first, you know, they were having some success, and he went, you know, he went to Palestine and wrote about that team. I was like, you know, that's the kind of story that he that he gravitated towards, and and you know, we haven't talked too much about women's sports but he you know 
I want to say he's an advocate for women's sports, but it's not even it's not even that. He just felt like women's sports should be treated to be covered the same as men's sports as as a sport, you know. Um, so he didn't want to handhold the reader about why this is important for you. You know, he wanted the content to speak for itself. So he would just when he went to cover, you know, an event that, you know, the women's World Cup or the Olympics or, um, you know, feature stories on on female players. He just he just did it the way he would any other story. And, and you know, and that's how he felt about um, that's how he felt about the women's. Game. It's kind of how he felt about soccer in comparison to other sports. You know, he wanted to cover soccer the way that Sports Illustrated covered the NFL and the NBA. Just let's just treat it as a sport and not try and sort of spoon feed it to, you know, patronizingly to our readers. And I think that was sort of, you know, his approach to all of his journalism was like, you know, a strong sense of what's right and what's wrong. And, uh, a, a, you know, a very straightforward way of, of presenting that information and writing his stories. And, and it sort of came through in everything that he did. Yeah, it's worth, uh, and I'll I'll go to you, Jeff, in a second here. It's um, it, we haven't talked a lot about his coverage of women's soccer, which really deserves uh, um, a ton of mention because he he was an incredibly an incredible chronicler of the women's national team, which is far and away a better team than the men's team in terms of success. And I remember in 2015, and John, you may have been executive editor by then, when Sports Illustrated did those individual covers of every. Um, women's national team member. I think that was the 2015 Women's World Cup. He was so excited. But like, he was like, I remember talking to him. He was like, well, this is finally, it was like, this is how it should be covered. Like, this is the kind of attention we should be giving to like this kind of team. That required, um, that required some and, changes uh, at the, you know, yeah. at the top of SI. Yes, it did. Yeah, uh, you're correct. Right. Um, I'm sure by then, Mark, the average age of the reader was 86. Um, I'm kidding. And I will always say f- have fondness of Sports Illustrated. Um, Jeff, did you, is there anything that um, you sort of want to add to that? Again, you know, you and Grant spent a lot of formative time together when he was in his mid uh, to late 20s. And I would think you, you know, I mean, you have this as well, this sort of injustice gene. But he clearly definitely had it and then took it with him throughout his career. Well, I think it's really interesting. Two things. Number one is, you know, he showed up wearing the rainbow shirt to Qatar. And I remember thinking, I like really thinking about it because if he had been doing, if he had been working for Sports Illustrated, I don't think he could have done that. I don't think as a journalist working for a traditional publication, you can show up wearing what could be perceived as a sort of political message or social justice message. Like you were there to cover an event. And one of the things certainly coming up in journalism you learn is you're not you're not a part of the story you're not a part of the story and you know he, he became a part of the story and he did it because he believed in the righteousness of the situation and the other one was in 2011 i think he was writing about the the shit show that was fifa and i think he wound up considering running for the president <laughs> yeah he did run yeah he ran and i'm gonna be honest i and i i apologize to him later or at least we kind of made peace over it I kind of ripped him for it because I thought it crossed a line, a journalistic line where you're writing about FIFA and then you decide to run for the presidency of FIFA. And, but I actually think like both those circumstances, whatever you think about it journalistically, um, it really spoke to the guy's passion about it all. Like he, I don't think there's ever been a sport and athlete that I loved as much as he loved soccer. 
and he viewed it as sort of not just something to cover, but his, in many ways, his life and his lifeblood outside of family. Mm-hmm. And he's had a passion for that stuff. And again, I don't know if running for the presidency of FIFA, I don't, I don't think I, I felt that that was the best journalistic route, <laughs> but I can kind of appreciate in hindsight the passion behind it, if that makes oh, sense. You're so old school, Jeff. Uh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Let's, uh, I think Grant, uh, Grant would sort of uh, look at the uh, pitch here and say it's 30 minutes into Argentina, Croatia. We're taping this during the World Cup, which in many ways I think is a pretty cool tribute to him. But uh, but I know Mark wants to get back to the game, so I'm gonna. Um... I'm happy to stay as long as you want. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I'm happy to uh, uh, let uh, sort of people go. I, there is one. Um, um, there's one sort of, you know, it, it, it's sort of impossible to end this podcast. I don't want to like wrap it up in some like, like, uh, um, you know, sweet bow or something like that. Well, what's your biggest takeaway from, I'm not going to ask that. Uh, but John, you know, like on top of the fact that like a friend is gone and it's sort of a horrible thing to contemplate and he's a contemporary of mine. So it hits home, um, even harder. Like it sucks that like 20 years of what would have been amazing stories, particularly in soccer, are now not coming. Like, Grant would have been someone who would have worked in the space for a long time. He wasn't, I don't think, like, looking to, like, sort of jet out of there at 55 or 56 with a ton of money. Like, I think he loved this. And I think, I mean, Mark could probably speak to this, too. He, I think he would have been committed to covering as many World Cups between the men and women as um, as he could have. And I'm, he would have been, I think just an incredible force for the 2026 world cup, which will be held in the U S Canada and Mexico. So on top of obviously the loss for his family and for Celine, his brother, Eric and stuff, uh, it just like, I can't get past the fact that like, we just lost like 20 years of incredible work that, that I'm not sure someone else can duplicate. You you mean the 20 subsequent years where, yeah, I mean, I, I think um, Chris Stone wrote a, this in the LA times and really a, a, a lovely piece and said he, you know, he was 49 and he was just warming up. And, um, exactly. that's, that's sort of part. And you, you mentioned as well. I mean, you, you don't think Grant in four years from now with the world cup, with an expanded field in the U S uh, would have been a driving force. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, I think we're, we're all, it's, it's very sort of easy to, to bleed into, uh, um, to, to sap here, but I just, it's heartbreaking. It's lovely that he's getting this sort of outpouring of, uh, of affection and respect. I, you know, I, I encourage people to go, go through the archives, go down the rabbit hole and uh, go, go read his old pieces and listen to his old podcast and, and see just how extraordinary a journalist he was. And if some of his lessons about rigor and, and combining passion with compassion and exploring the world and, not doing transactional reporting, if sort of doing old school journalism, you can, if this is his shining example, you can still do this job with integrity and have the kind of impact and reach and popularity he did. Um, that is a, uh, that's a hell of a legacy. Uh, Jeff, I'll go to you, by the way, as we're taping this, Leo Messi just drilled a penalty shot home. One nothing Argentina. I know Grant would have liked Boiler that. alert. <laughs> Jeff? First of all, I can honestly say if Leo Messi knocked on my door and said, hey, I'm Leo Messi, <laughs> I'd say, where's my Amazon package? I would not. I would. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> I guess Brad didn't completely succeed in his last uh, 
Oh, yeah, um, right. So much for that uh, proselytizing. Yeah. I, um, Pele, I would recognize that. Um, I honestly, like, I, it's funny. I was texting with John about this the other day. I, like, Mike Leach, the football coach, died today. And you see online, Mike Leach, and he meant so much, and blah, blah, blah. And we move on so fast from things that happen. You know, we really do. It's just how it works now. And I am... Like, it doesn't really make sense to me that he's he's gone. I know that sounds dumb and court. Like, it doesn't really make sense to me in my head. Like, someone like that, a contemporary and someone I came up with is gone. And the sadness of that, that he he just isn't, ar- isn't around anymore, is so profoundly sad. You know, and I, I just honestly, I think sometimes, I know this, I don't know if this translates. Like, we get so much into someone's legacy and what did he mean and his impact on soccer that just the fact that someone is never going to enjoy a good meal again, that someone's not going to see his wife again, that someone's not going to be able to walk down the street in New York city and just kind of enjoy a day as is over. It just is so jarringly unfair and so cruel that just freaking breaks my heart times a thousand. That's not a great take, but that that's honestly how I feel. I'm just so sad that he's not around anymore. It's just not freaking fair. Yeah, no, I think that's, I, I, we think we all share that. Mark, I'll, uh, I'll leave you with the final word. I mean, yes, he's, he's gone and we're going to miss his, his incredible reporting and his incredible personality. And, uh, but I think, you know, his life just shows that you can make a difference. You know, if you believe in yourself, you believe in what you're doing and you believe in others. I mean, Grant literally changed like the world. In, in some ways, you know, I, he changed the way a, a particular sport was viewed in, in, in the United States. And that's that's huge. And yep. I think that's, you know, if there's a lesson from his life, it's it's that it's believe in yourself and believe in what you're doing and believe in others. And, you know, you can change you can change not only, you know, big things like how, you know, sports and culture are viewed in the country but just also individual lives as as we saw like you know repeated thousands fold on uh, on social media so that's my that's my takeaway uh i want to thank you guys i know this wasn't easy and uh, but i i think important just for as many people to uh to hear about grant's life we're obviously certainly thinking of his family and and celine and eric um and anybody obviously who was close to you can certainly honor him by uh, continuing to read his work and supporting the causes that uh, that he supported and um, and please uh, you know continue to follow and uh, read and support the work of uh, Mark Moravic, John Mortifam, Jeff Perlman, uh, Mark, Jeff, John. I, I really appreciate it. Um, thank you today for uh, for coming on talking about Grant and joining me on the Sports Media Podcast. All right, back uh, back after taping the podcast, I want to thank Mark Moravic, Jeff Perlman, and John Wertheim for giving me their time and insights and reflections on uh, on the incredible life of, uh, of Grant Wall. And uh, again, as I said during that podcast, we're, we're certainly, thinking, certainly thinking of this family at this time. I'm not going to do the usual uh, sort of end of a podcast where we uh, go down the archives and stuff like that. I certainly want to thank Patrick Antonetti for all his hard work on this podcast and um, and go out and read Grant Wall stuff. Um, he really was a unique, one-of-a-kind journalist and, uh, and absolutely changed the face of how Americans uh, view soccer in the United 
United States. Uh, thanks on behalf of everybody who's on this podcast, and uh, we'll see you soon on the Sports Media Podcast.